0: Welcome to Bizarre to Brutal, featuring true crimes and scandals that were reported in the hugely popular Victorian newspaper, The Illustrated Police News. What follows are the actual reports from that time. But first, a warning. The writers sometimes didn't hold back from giving the most intimate details of these events. But if you can stand it, you'll get a revealing insight into Victorian life and uncensored human nature. So let's walk back through the mists of time. 31st of August, 1867. The charge of attempted murder at sea Captain John Irwin, the master of the ship Cops of Sunderland, was brought before Mr Paget at the Thames Police Court on Tuesday for the third time, charged with attempting to murder Henry Crickmore, cook and steward of the same vessel. At the close of the case for the prosecution, Mr Welford said he considered it quite unnecessary to address a single word to the magistrate in defence. Mr Paget ordered all the crew of the cops who were in attendance should be called into the room to hear his reasons for dismissing this case. The prisoner was charged with one of the most serious crimes known to the law, an attempt to murder a seaman named Crickmore in his sleep. He did not impute to the prosecutor any attempt to get up a false charge against his captain to carry out a spirit of revenge, or for the purpose of extortion. But he must say his whole statement was exceedingly incorrect and contradictory. The prosecutor said the attack was made upon him in the dark, that he could not see the person who attacked him, and that he did not know who it was that was cutting his throat. On the prosecutor being recalled on the second examination, He said it was quite light in the cabin, that he saw the captain distinctly, that he saw the knife, which was a long one and made out of an old Russian saw, and saw the prisoner throw it under the cabin table. The two accounts were as different as possible. No person, no knife, was seen according to the first account. But in his second statement, Crickmore said he saw both. Now the question was, should he send the case before a jury? He could not come to the reasonable conclusion that any grand jury would find a bill or that a petty jury would find the prisoner guilty on such evidence. The testimony of Crickmore was inconsistent in itself and unsupported by the evidence of other witnesses. He could not say the prosecutor had been guilty of a willful deception but it was quite clear he was labouring under an hallucination. 14th of September, 1867. Street outrage and attempted highway robbery. Henry Cousins a powerful-looking young fellow connected with a gang of street ruffians and thieves, was placed at the bar before Mr Barcham at the Southwark Police Court on Monday, charged with being concerned with others not in custody in assaulting George Fry in the Old Kent Road, with intent to rob him. The prosecutor, a warehouseman living in the Albany Road, Old Kent Road, said that about 11 o'clock on Sunday night he was proceeding along the latter road towards his home and, when nearly opposite East Lane, about 10 or 12 fellows surrounded him. The prisoner came up to him and said, Old fellow, what do you think of the new reform bill? Witness turned round and told him he did not know, but he made it a point never to express his political opinion to a stranger and... In the street. He was then violently set upon by the prisoner and his companions and thrown down. He got up again when the prisoner struck him a violent blow between the eyes and fell on him. They had a severe struggle and had not a constable came up his clothes would have been torn off and everything taken from him. The prisoner here in the most impudent manner said It was a fair stand-up fight. The prosecutor challenged to fight anyone and having struck him first, the prisoner, they had a fight. The prosecutor denied that. He had no wish to fight with anyone. When he was surrounded, he turned round to protect himself, but he was tripped up by one of the prisoner's companions. No doubt they would have robbed him had not the constable came up. Mr. Bircham asked the prosecutor whether he lost any money. He replied in the negative, but said he had no doubt they would have robbed him had not the constable came up. Rogers informed his worship that the prisoner and his companions were all thieves. Mr. Bircham had no doubt of that, but still there was no evidence of an intent to rob. He should, however, convict him of the assault by fining him 40 shillings, and in default of payment, he committed him to the House of Corrections for one month with hard labour. 21st of September, 1867 mysterious death of a woman through falling on a broken basin. An inquest, at which some rather remarkable evidence was given, was held at the Wellington Tavern, Cannon Street Road, St George's in the East, on Friday. The inquiry was respecting the death of Catherine Fitzgerald, aged 22 years, who had been found lying dead with her throat cut on the pavement in Ellen Street. The sister of the deceased was the first witness. She described her as the wife of a mariner residing in St George's in the East. Deceased was a sack maker. On Wednesday afternoon she returned home from Essex where she had been staying for some time. At half past ten at night she went into a public house where she had a portion of a pint of cooper and then returned home. The next witness was a prostitute named Harriet Goatley who stated that at about ten minutes past two on Thursday morning, she was sitting on a doorstep in Ellen Street with a woman who was like herself. Whilst they were there, they saw the deceased pass along with a basin in her hand. When about 50 yards from them, a policeman, whom she recognised as Sergeant Barnes, went up to her and struck her such a blow in the back as caused deceased to fall heavily on the pavement. The basin which she was carrying fell from her hands and was broken. Witness was cross-examined at considerable length but adhered to her statement. The reason why she did not go to the woman while she lay on the ground was that she feared the police would lock her up. Several other witnesses were examined One was a woman who lived in the street and who heard a noise as of someone falling heavily while she was nursing a sick old man. She went at once to the window and saw the deceased lying on the pavement, but no policeman was leaving the street. She was certain that if deceased had been knocked down by a policeman, she must have seen him. This evidence was corroborated by another witness. A doctor who knew deceased, said she was a respectable woman and not accustomed to drink. Her death had been caused by her falling upon the sharp edge of a piece of the broken basin. The portion of basin entered her throat, making a deep incised wound. In summing up, the coroner spoke of the evidence given by the woman Goatley and said he hardly liked to trust himself to speak as he thought of her conduct he should not call upon the sergeant to rebut her evidence. The jury returned the following verdict, that the deceased died from the incised wound in the throat and the said jurors say that the said wound and the said death were caused by her accidentally falling on a certain basin. 28th of December 1867. Extraordinary elopement in Staffordshire. Considerable excitement has been occasioned in the quiet little village of Albrighton, near Wolverhampton, during the past week, in consequence of the elopement of a young lady of considerable wealth, with a youth very much her inferior in position, an apprentice to the village wheelwright. The name of the young man is Theo Edwards, an apprentice to Mr Butler, wheelwright of Albrighton, and what makes the case somewhat extraordinary is the fact that this is not the first adventure of the kind in which he has played a prominent part, and in one sense, a successful part. The female population of Albrighton, it is said, is considerably in excess of the males, and most of the eligible young men of the neighbourhood are engaged, the greater part of the week, in various business pursuits in the neighbouring town of Wolverhampton. Edwards seems to have been a regular attendant at church and succeeded in making himself very agreeable with the members of the opposite sex. Three or four months ago, the village was startled by the report that he had eloped with a young lady just verging on 18. Possessed of no small amount of personal beauty, and the heiress to a considerable sum. The rumour proved quite correct and several days afterwards the pair were traced to Oswestry where they were found residing in separate lodgings waiting the time required by law to be joined in the bonds of matrimony. After some persuasion the young lady consented to be removed to the care of some friends in another part of the country. Young Edwards returned to Albrighton and, according to the gossip of the place, he received from the friends of the young lady a gratuity of two pounds. Since then, he has continued steadily at work, except during a severe illness from which he has only recently recovered. And no suspicion was entertained that he was a second time laying siege to the affections of a young lady who, like the first one referred to, Combined with the attraction of beauty, the charms of wealth. On Wednesday week, the residents of All Brighton were again surprised by the rumour that Edwards was again missing, and that he had not gone alone. Further inquiries not only confirmed the rumour, but proved that the companion of his flight was a young lady of comparatively good position, well known as a regular attendant at church and as one who, like Edwards, took a prominent part in the services. We believe some of her friends started, sometime afterwards, in pursuit, but were too late. The runaways, or rather the hero of the affair, profiting by the slip in the first case, having succeeded in taking his fair one, while she was in the willing mood, straight off to Derby, where they were fast united in the bonds of wedlock. The young lady is heiress to between 2000 and £3,000 and was said to be engaged to a young gentleman in the neighbourhood. The money to which she is entitled is connected with proceedings in Chancery. 15th of February, 1868. Another fortune-telling swindle. At the Chesterfield Police Court last week, two gypsy women were charged with fraudulently obtaining money and goods from Mary Baker, a domestic servant at Moorgate, Rotherham. The prisoners gave their names as Selina Smart and Rachel Lockett. One day last week, Baker met the prisoner Smart who said she should like to tell her fortune. Baker asked what the fee was, and Smart said sixpence if told by the hand and one shilling by the cards. Baker forthwith paid a shilling, and she was then told there was much happiness in store for her. On Sunday, she would meet a young man, whose complexion was described, but Smart could not say whether or not she would be married until she made the charm. A day or two afterwards, Smart said she could not make the charm without some other articles, and she thus obtained a dress shawl, skirt and a pair of boots. On Sunday, Lockett returned with the boots and said her companion could not complete the charm as the clothes were not good enough. Baker then gave her another dress and cloak, altogether clothing of the value of £2.10 and 10 shillings, and three shillings and eight pence in money. The facts having come to the knowledge of her employer, Baker was required to give the two women into custody. They were delivered into the custody of the Rotherham police. been listening to Bizarre to Brutal. I'm Mark Capel. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to support this podcast, climb into your handsome cab and head over to bizarretobrutal.com to find out more. See you next time.